0: The evil of corruption reaches into every corner of the world. Corruption lies at the heart of the most urgent problems we face. Welcome to Confidential Brief, where Chad Thomas takes you into the stories behind the issues facing our society. Good afternoon and welcome to this, the very first show of Confidential Brief 2020. It is the 6th of January, just past the midday mark. And today in studio I'm going to be chatting to advocate Jackie Fick. She's now with the National Forum of Advocates. Um, Prior to that she held senior positions in South Sea as well as at uh, PwC. But of course her most important posting was when she was ex-deputy director of public prosecutions appointed to the now disbanded Scorpions. Uh, Advocate Fick is a cyber crime expert and we're going to be chatting about all things cyber, but specifically we're going to be looking today at cryptocurrency platforms and forex trading platforms. I'd like to remind you the views expressed on the show are not necessarily those of High FM. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. You're listening to Confidential Brief. we live on 101.9 FM in Johannesburg, streaming worldwide on highfm.com, and of course, an app for smartphones. In 2019, 2018, 2017, we looked at all kinds of frauds that have affected the average person in the street. So we've seen a fundamental growth, or an exponential growth, rather, in frauds that are impacting on people who are looking to make investments. And I've always gone by the old adage that for a lie to be, Perpetuated, There has to be an element of truth in it. So when one looks at the Mandela 5 Rand coin scam that has been going on for many years, that scam was perpetuated and people were buying 5 Rand coins for tens of thousands of rands that had false gradings on them. Um, And those coins were actually just worth five rand. But the reason why the lie could be perpetuated is that certain coins had been minted, had been sealed, and were given as gifts. The first that had been minted to politicians, to businessmen, etc. So there are five rand coins in existence that are, in fact, worth tens of thousands of rands, but they were sealed at the mint. So the five-ran coin scam was a scam that was based on somewhat of a myth, but there was a slight truth to it. We've then, of course, seen the Nigerian uh, 419 scams that may involve black dollars, may involve the washing of money, etc. And that was based partly on the truth, partly on a myth of the way the Americans paid various informers worldwide in the 1980s and the early 1990s where they didn't want to be caught Carrying money So they would carry money that had been dyed And there was only one specific product that could clean that money And it was it, it, it was really the exception to, Rather than the rule for this money to be in circulation But of course some fraudsters heard about the story Some people uh, would then research it And find that in fact certain dictators had been paid this way And suddenly there was an influx of emails from all over the world Which we now refer to as the black dollar scam Well, sadly, we're now experiencing something very similar with regards to forex trading platforms and cryptocurrency. With Bitcoin becoming something that increased so massively in value overnight, suddenly – Different Bitcoin trading platforms were being endorsed by all and sundry. Suddenly, the local Germany in the church was a Bitcoin expert. Some financial advisors who didn't actually know much about Bitcoin were most probably either in the long-term insurance game or endowment policies. Suddenly, they knew about Bitcoin. And before you realize it, everybody was jumping on to the cryptocurrency bandwagon. And herein lies the problem. A lot of people had good intention. A lot of people claimed that they were able to trade and the domino effect came into play. What's the domino effect? Well, you find somebody who claims that he has invested with somebody and has on paper these incredible returns. He introduces you to the scheme, but he trades through his account. But the person he's actually trading with is trading supposedly with a third person, maybe even a fourth person or a fifth group. Suddenly these groups have become exclusive, so you can't deal direct with them. You have to deal through a third party, through an agent. And what we've realized more often than not is that these are in actual fact Ponzi schemes. And what we now have to figure out is who knew that this was a Ponzi scheme, who benefited, and what are you entitled to? Jackie, welcome to the show. Um, In the introduction, I made mention of your prosecutorial experience coming from the NPA in the days of the Scorpions and, of course, your cyber experience over the years. What do you make of this Bitcoin investment phenomena?
1: Chad, I would refer to it in the same way I think people did when they invested and investigated sour milk schemes, whether we call it, Traders, whether we call them milkmen, they're still fraudsters. And I think the word cryptocurrency and blockchain conjures up pictures that scares investigators. And actually what we should be focusing on is the basic elements of fraud. A Ponzi scheme, to use the American term, a pyramid scheme, it's still fraud. And if we look at putting the foundation of the investigation down – We need to look at how do we prove those five elements of fraud. If we start there and we take an approach where we involve a multidisciplinary team, we can always put the flesh on that investigation by talking to people that have more experience than us in terms of cryptocurrency, in terms of Bitcoin, in terms of market analysis of how these uh, types of investment trend. But we need to stick to the basics. And when we do that, it sort of demystifies it a bit, but it also lets us put our investigating hats on and focus us on this more easily. And when, and when we look at it from a prosecutorial side, suddenly drafting that charge sheet does become a little bit less daunting. Yes, there are regulations that we... We don't really have right now But we shouldn't throw the common law away The common law is still there for us To prosecute Well firstly to investigate And secondly to prosecute these types of offences
0: Tell me more about those five elements You were talking about
1: Firstly was there an act Was there a person That offered an investment That's just enough To be not good enough To believe Um did they offer a product like you said with the Mandela coins? Was there some bit of truth in it? Um, when they did this, did they know that what they were offering was actually not in truth worth 10,000 rand but worth 5,000 rand? And remember, for fraud, we don't have to prove actual predators; Potential predators is enough to complete it. And also, in terms of our South African law, the actual loss of money, you don't have to quantify that. The potential to lose the money is enough. So go and look at those basic elements. And, of course, the mens rea aspect is always important. That they do this knowing that it was wrong and they wanted to hurt somebody through the scheme and, of course, enrich themselves.
0: Now, when one looks at cryptocurrency, it's so complicated. You've been an advocate, you've been an attorney, you've been in the prosecutorial service for many years and now in cybercrime for as many years. And you had to, after leaving the NPA, wrap your mind around sophisticated cybercrime. But going into the fourth industrial revolution, looking at things such as Bitcoin, etc., do you think that people that may have some knowledge of cryptocurrency trading, etc., may be taking advantage Of others that don't have that Knowledge and entice them To become part of such a scheme
1: Absolutely Remember if you take your Mandela coin Example again um, They knew The criminals that people knew About the Mandela coins But they didn't know enough To really go and verify What was the real McCoy And the same with cryptocurrency Everybody thinks okay I need to go and buy bitcoins And It's the hype thing to do. But how many of us really understand the nuts and bolts of what a Bitcoin is? How does it function? How does it operate? And yes, those things are very technical. But at least if you want to go and invest a substantial sum of money, for some people a substantial amount of money is 10,000 rand, for others it's a million or 10 million, do you at least know where your money is going to? Do you know what you're getting in return? Because at this stage, do you just get a promise in return? Where is the Bitcoin? At least we had the 5 rand coin in, 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 in the case of the Mandela coin, but where's my Bitcoin? Um, how does the Bitcoin function? How does it get into my wallet? How is it secured? And we should be responsible also when we want to go and invest. And it's that basic thing of, again, saying what we want to do in the cyber world. Would you really do it in the real world? Would I go and invest with a a dodgy financial institution? How much effort do we put in just to choose the bank that we want to go and bank our salaries with? Yet we go into this world of cryptocurrency and we don't do our homework.
0: Now, you've hit on something so fascinating for me because we have the virtual world and the real world. With the 5 Rand coin myth, people actually were buying 5 Rand coins that were in circulation, that had been repackaged and had a little grading sticker on, and they believed it was something real because it was tangible. With the Kruger Rand itself, we know that a Kruger Rand has a value that's fixed to the gold price. There's now a legitimate organization that actually sells Portions of Krugerrands, they don't literally cut it up, but because everybody wants to invest in gold, you can buy a bit of a Kruger coin. This is the real world, this is tangible. But when it comes to the virtual world, I think people want to be a part of this. They believe that what they're being told is the truth because of the fact that everything has gone digital, yet maybe they don't want to admit that it's hard for them to actually understand. And that vulnerability or naivety is where the fraudster strikes.
1: You're absolutely correct. I mean, the same, you buy a part of a Bitcoin, but at least I can tick the box and say, woo, woo, I've moved onto the digital world. I possess a tenth of a Bitcoin. And it is that basic human need of firstly being recognized, being accepted, saying I'm modern that fraudsters exploit. Knowing full well that this is a very technical concept and that people can't really get their heads around the technical nitty gritty, they become more susceptible to this kind of fraudulent schemes.
0: We're going to take a break. When we come back, I want to talk more about how cryptocurrency schemes that are unregulated, can actually be regarded as a traditional Ponzi scheme. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on Hi-FM. In studio with me today is Advocate Jackie Fick. She's with the National Forum of Advocates, and she spent time um, in the cyber world, first with the PwC, then with... Uh, um, Celsi, but prior to that, she was with the now disbanded Scorpions as a deputy director of national prosecutions. So when it comes to the prosecution of financial crime and organized crime, you don't get much more of an expert than Advocate Fick. Uh, Jackie, before we went to break, I said I want to draw the parallels between certain cryptocurrency schemes and Ponzi schemes. So this is my parallel, and, and you can then comment on this. In respect of cryptocurrency trading at the moment, because it seems to be in an area that isn't strictly regulated worldwide, people seem to be taking advantage of it and claiming to be experts in it. Now, in South Africa, we have the Financial Advisory Intermediary Services Act phase. And if you are going to be giving financial advice, you obviously need to be registered with the FSCA, previously the FSB. People seem to be finding ways around this. But more importantly for me, if you're taking deposits from people and you're then going to be paying them interest on that, you need to be registered in terms of the Banking Act of 1990. And we're seeing a lot of these people that are involved in the circumventing. And they're saying, well, they're acting merely as proxies, merely as agents, and that they may not have their own platform, and they now have to piggyback off other platforms. But it looks good because on paper, once you made your first investment, You've now been told that your investment has garnered significant interest and they try to get you to reinvest or bring more people to the fore. That, to me, sounds like a Ponzi scheme.
1: Absolutely. And that's why I said to you in the beginning of the show that we need to go back to basics. The fact that we add the word cryptocurrency doesn't change the fact that it's a Ponzi or a pyramid scheme. The basics are still the same. You are getting in investors – You are promising them that they're investing, for example, in a product. You're paying them a little or irregular payments, and you disappear with the money. Isn't that what we, when we were still young, got to know as Ponzi schemes or pyramid schemes?
0: So what happens with you as a prosecutor if you get given a docket? And in that criminal docket, um, the person, the very first victim paid money across to one person, and that person unknowingly paid another person who he believed actually had the platform, who in turn paid another person. So you now have one person at the outset claiming to be an expert, taking money, but perhaps not with intent, passing on that money to a third party, but without doing the necessary due diligence. Is that first party who took the money from the victim guilty of an offence?
1: Well, it will firstly depend on the specific facts of the matter, but when it comes to due diligence and a duty to act in a responsible manner, I think there's definitely worth investigating the conduct of that person because they can't just throw their hands in the air and say, I didn't know. If, if you want to go and offer a product, you firstly have to know that product. You need to know who you're dealing with, who's marketing it, where it's being manufactured, uh, where it's been hosted, who endorses it. There is a duty on you, especially when you go and give financial advice based on your supposed knowledge of something. We can't have the fly-by-nights anymore. We can't tolerate that anymore. And coming to your question on how to investigate such a matter, back to basics. I will start with that person. I will go. The evidence will lead me throughout. And you're probably going to have to question 27,500 investigators or at least a sample of those uh, investigators, sorry, I- investors, but at least to form a trend in terms of how this scheme was purported. To get to how these um, cryptocurrency fraud schemes um, are perpetrated there was a, well, a recent Matter with the Bitcoin Terminal where there was something Called an ICO initial um, Currency offering Basically what that is, it's a way Of funding This, in bulk. Well, what turned out to be a Ponzi scheme You go and you say to people I've got a wonderful business idea In this case to build a terminal To help people with currency Trading and I need to get money in. And for that, I'm going to offer you a token, a coin that you can buy. So you invest on the good faith that this coin is eventually, when I develop the product, going to offer a return on my investment. And the same principle as what you had with Ethereum, but I mean Ethereum is still up and going. In the case of the Bitcoin terminal, what happened then is, again, here we get to the Mandela coins, They did develop prototypes of the terminal, which they placed with people to test. Interestingly enough, they never came and installed it. So all these hedge fund traders were sitting with the terminals doing nothing. But again, it is creating that illusion of there's something going on. They had people working in their firm, highly qualified. They had a marketing team that really boosted the product. And all in the name of getting people to invest. And invest they did. I think the total loss with that scheme, if I'm not mistaken, was $800 million.
0: Now, when one looks at international schemes that have hit South Africans hard, we know about BTC Global. And as recently as 20th of December 2019, the Financial Sector Conduct Authority, the old FSB, issued a warning about Carrot Bars, which is a massive organization recruiting people in South Africa at the moment at present. And the FSCA went as far as to say you have no protection with dealing with a company like Carrot Bars because somehow they've circumvented our phase. And in terms of the protection that's extended by the FSCA is – Protection extended to consumers Who have fallen foul Of people who actually At a stage were acting In a regulated environment So would you say that people Are taking advantage of something that Isn't correctly regulated at this point
1: They will always do that Um, Rules in the most Instances when it comes to fraudsters Are made to be broken they will always find A way around certain Rules and the regulations in terms of what we refer to in South Africa as virtual currencies, cryptocurrencies, at this stage hasn't been finalized. But getting back, that still doesn't take away that we do have the common law available as a remedy. It might not be a regulation, but still you have fraud.
0: So we have a situation at the moment. We're investigating organizations um, that have taken money and then passed it on to other platforms and other parties – And tried, according to them, according to statements obtained, etc., to meet the commitments that they promised. So in a lot of instances, and this to me is always a warning sign, capital is guaranteed. You will get interest, your capital will be held, and you can withdraw your capital at any time. This to me is most probably one of the biggest red flags that can happen in Ponzi's. But when you hear of companies that are then relying on third parties, like we have an organization, TBC BTC Donation Exchange, who then relied on a third party like Mirror Trading International, and the same TBC BTC were dealing with another party um, who goes by the nickname Dollar Pair, Um, that this chap was trading on his platform because they no longer had access to their own platforms or weren't allowed to invest through a specific platform and had to use third parties. One has to question the bona fides of all of those involved during the investigation.
1: Sounds like um, the beginnings of a racketeering prosecution to me. I think, um, again, I want to stress, let yourself be led by the facts. But if it shows that these people shared a common purpose in the commission of some or other type of fraud, I can't comment on the specific nature of the facts of that matter, but if it shows that they had the common purpose to defraud, you prosecute all of them together. And this is something that I can't stress enough, the importance of putting all those people together in the box. Because if you don't, the one will blame the other. You can't have separate prosecutions there. Also, in these schemes, I cannot stress the importance of trying to find an internal person that can blow the whistle. There's nobody that can explain things in so much detail as somebody that was close to the scheme.
0: We're going to take a break. Um, it's halfway through the show today. And I'd like to hear your questions. You can SMS us on 34519. You can tweet us at HiFM. And let us know your thoughts Perhaps you've been wanting to invest And you'd like to ask a couple of questions Perhaps you have invested Perhaps you've been victim to a scam But let us know You can tweet us on 34519 uh, Or rather you can SMS us 34519 You can tweet us at HiFM And when we, can, when we come back I want to break down the reality Of what money is actually owed Should a Ponzi scheme be proven to have taken place You're listening to Confidential Brief you're listening to the Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. You're listening to Confidential Brief. My name is Chad Thomas, and today I'm in conversation with Advocate Jackie Fick from the National Forum of Advocates. We're chatting about the rise in fraud involving cryptocurrency, which has become a worldwide phenomenon um, following the the great success of the initial investments in Bitcoin. Um, what concerns me, Jackie, is that. Apart from people jumping on the wagon and planning uh, and, and claiming to be experts, etc., cetera, we also have people who are presumed expert by virtue of the positions they hold, um, as well as people who perhaps have endorsed the wrong people. Now, there was a, a very well-known case in New York not so long ago where – uh, a South African, Ranuna, who has a, a, a program on, on a business um, network Endorsed or allegedly endorsed a product It was a, an investment product And it turned out that the person behind that product was using a fake name He had actually been convicted in Canada on, on some serious charges Do you have any knowledge of that case?
1: I do, that was actually the initial um, coin offering I was referring to The Bitcoin Terminal Mr. McDonald that turned out to be Boas Manor.
0: So what actually happened there?
1: Mistaken identity and <laughs> people not going back to 101. Look at who you're doing business with. And.
0: But he received endorsements from people that knew the industry.
1: Yet, according to some of the articles, if you go and Google and a basic Google search, McDonald, what do you get? And there were some of the H-Fund traders that said the moment they saw the man's photograph, they realized it was Bow Manor. So simple 101. Verify the existence of this person's record. It's the same as employing somebody. Do you verify his CV? Or do you just go on his word?
0: So it's like the BTC global scheme that hit the South Africans with the Twain surname. It's a common sounding name. He sounded like the real deal. But at the end, when people actually started doing the research they should have done at the outset, before they became overly excited with parting their money, they found the man didn't exist.
1: Exactly. It's that basic thing of know who you're doing business with. So much of these fraudulent schemes can be prevented by just going and just verifying some of the facts. And, of course, the higher the monetary value or the more involved you get into a scheme, you might want to employ an outside company to assist you with the due diligence. But there's nothing stopping you as an individual of doing a plain, common, old Google search on that person's name, doing an image search. Take a photograph. See what pops up.
0: Now, as an investigator myself, I draw parallels with all these types of advanced frauds using complex methodologies to make it as simple as possible, to dumb it down. And I'm not dumbing it down because um, the the prosecutor may not understand or the investigating officer may not understand it. But like you said, we have Common law that we can apply, so when it comes to the investigation of such a crime, one looks for the elements that you identified earlier, was there fraud, etc, and one mustn 't get bogged down and confused by how the crypto platform worked, etc, because the con artist is going to feed you so much that your mind is literally going to boggle. You have to keep it simple. But you and I have spoken previously that there's people out there that have zero knowledge on investigations and proving the elements, whether it's a sophisticated, complex crime or a simple crime, and it's their mission to try re-victimize the victims. Tell me more about your thoughts on that.
1: I use the analogy, if there's blood in the water, there will be sharks. And it's a sad reality People will take advantage to try and get the investigation on their books at all costs. And secondly, we need to be very careful when we deal with the victims of an investment scam. What do we say we can help them with? We can investigate, but we can never make promises in terms of what we could or should recover. Secondly, in terms of a Ponzi or an investment scheme or a pyramid scheme, People were promised unrealistic returns, and they, they go off the opinion they shouldn't just get the money back that they invest, uh, invested initially, but also these high-inflated returns that got them to invest in the scheme originally. And a responsible investigator or an advisor should tell them that the reality is that, at most, we can get you your initial investment or part of your investment back. The second thing that would happen with this blood in the water and the sharks Is that it opens up the possibility that other fraudsters can be contacting these people To say to them, "Um, give me your details, fishing And I will assist you in recovering some of your lost money Maybe 419 scam approach Give me a 100 rand and I can try and recover your 10,000 rand So it opens up those possibilities too
0: So it becomes an extension of the fraud. We saw it with BTC Global where help groups were set up, and in actual fact those people were taking money from victims, promising them that they knew where the money was hidden and that they would give them the money. So there needs to be a bit of a reality check. If you're the victim of a Ponzi scheme and you paid a million rand into that Ponzi scheme and you are fortunate enough to get interest repayments of 400,000 rand, You are not owed your initial capital that you invested. You are owed 600,000 rand. That 400,000 rand is going to come off the million rand. And anything else that was promised over and above that million rand or over and above that interest repayment, the state is not interested in. You invested a million rand, you got 400,000 rand back in interest, your claim is 600,000 rand. Don't misrepresent facts to the authorities, that's what you have to put down on the docket. And if you're going to have an investigator, make sure that if it's a private investigator, that that private investigator is registered with CIRA, gives you a mandate with clear deliverables, and a report, and there's a reporting structure. If the person is a legal practitioner, they must be registered with Legal Practitioner Council or the Legal Practice Council rather and if it's a forensic auditor or somebody in commercial investigations they have to be part of a self-regulatory body such as the ICFP or the ACFE Don't fall victim a second time We'll be back after this You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM Advocate Jackie Fick is in studio today. She is a, the ex-National Director of Public Prosecutions who was seconded to the then Scorpions, which was the Directorate of Special Operations for the for the NPA at the time. She is now in practice with the National Forum of Advocates and runs both lectures through a, an organization called Vistrat to try help people understand the shortcomings in terms of their cyber protection and the problems relating to cyber crime in not just South Africa, but the world. Jackie, leaving the NPA, joining organizations like PwC, Celsius and senior roles, how did you make the move across to cyber? Where did the passion for cyber come from?
1: That passion actually arose when I was very young. I always thought that a computer is more clever than me, and it, it kept me going. My, I investigated, I Googled, I researched, because I found it fascinating on how these computers work and how people use technology to make their lives better. And it evolved into a passion that I took on in my career. Um also in doing investigations whilst I was with the Scorpions that led to the first conviction for spice software. And um it just carried on.
0: Do you think that we are going to be able to capacitate Our investigation agencies and prosecutorial agency in South Africa to be able to handle the massive increase that we are experiencing in crimes involving cyber, digital, cryptocurrency, blockchain investments, Forex platforms, etc.
1: I'm going to give you a typical advocate's answer. I'm going to give you a yes and a no. Yes, we will be able to do that. But it's not going to happen overnight. And... How you deal with that is innovative public-private partnerships. If we think of uh, cyber prosecutions and investigations in terms of law enforcement, there needs to be that capacity to partner with people in the private sector that are actually experts in this. That's the only way that you're going to have a near-to-immediate impact in this kind of crime. It takes time to get, firstly, to get used to these kind of terminology never mind to investigate and to prosecute but have somebody by your side helps you to immediately address that specific offense but also it enables a transfer of skills to take place
0: as an advocate who's given a lot of advice over the years and somebody who worked within our prosecutorial agency what advice would you give victims we've seen The Tannenbaum case in South Africa. We've seen the Michael Ash case in South Africa. We saw what happened with Creon. We saw how you mentioned the sour milk, which was one of the very first major Ponzi's in South Africa. And what we find with victims is they leave it too late. They start listening to promises, holding on to that hope, and that by the time they actually get to the point of reporting the crime, the person's either absconded or there's no funds left. How do you, as an advocate, Somebody who is as direct as they come, advise somebody when they should be opening a
1: case. As soon as possible. And in these matters, you often find people have lost all their life savings. So it's a lot of thinking with your heart and not your head. And your heart always clings onto that hope. And I'm not saying that all cases are hopeless, but the reality is the sooner you get somebody to start investigating and trace this person down, the better your chances are of recovery. Uh, The sooner somebody, for example, from asset forfeiture can freeze this person's assets, the better the chance of them taking the assets out of the country or hiding it to the extent that you never can find them, never mind the assets, the better the chance is of this person disappearing forever and you never finding him or, in the case of Mr. Manor, just changing his identity and continuing with this fraud under another name.
0: So you've brought that up again, and I think it's so valuable that you brought that up because no matter who refers you to a scheme, no matter who endorses a scheme, what should you be doing before you invest in a scheme?
1: Your homework. And
0: lots of it. And where do you think a person should start?
1: Well, I'm a Google fan, but um, I think the Internet is a very valuable tool. And if it comes, for example, to cryptocurrencies, just doing um, a little bit of research before the show, it is amazing how much information is out there. And there are sites that actually give you information in layman's terms. It is not about has cash and blockchain and proof of work and whatever, it's in terms That a normal person or at least a reasonable person that wants to invest money in these kind of schemes can understand and follow. Or at least it will enable you to ask intelligence questions when somebody is explaining an investment to you.
0: I need our listeners to understand that there's a number of things that they need to look at. We talk about deception by omission and uh, We talk about material non-disclosures. This means that there are certain things people should be telling you. They can't tell you that your money is guaranteed. They should actually be telling you that your money is not guaranteed by not telling you the truth that in itself is fraud. What else you need to do is as much as there are certain areas that are unregulated or in the process of being regulated or the regulatory process may be gray, rather rely on checking on the financial sector conduct authorities website whether the person you're taking financial advice from is in fact registered to give you that type of advice. And also remember, under South African law, and this is how so many Ponzi schemes have been exposed, if you are taking money from people as deposits for investments and you're paying them back interest and you're calling it interest, you are operating what is known as a bank. And you need to be registered as a bank. So there's some there's some tips before losing your hard-earned money. And there are decent people out there that want your investment that are registered. And they're getting a bad name and a bad reputation because consumers are relying too much on the stories that are being fed to them by con artists who are called that because they are confident and convincing. If you had to give a an analogy of one of the cases you've worked on in the past, where somebody could have done something differently, does anything spring to mind, Jackie?
1: Actually, just advice. Firstly, it touches on what you had said about what people that have been scammed should do. The first thing is, don't feel bad. Don't feel stupid. These kind of schemes have been going on for years and years and years. And just because you have fallen victim doesn't mean that you are stupid. It just means that the person that sold this scheme to you was very good at what they did. And that also prevents a lot of people of approaching Law enforcement agencies because they feel not only duped, but they feel sort of idiotic. And it's not the case at all.
0: That to me is re-victimization. There's a new program that's coming out on Showmax. It's a fictionalized program um, about a stock file that became a Ponzi scheme in a township in South Africa. And one of the, when they did the press release for it, one of the people said, that the reason why these schemes succeed is because of people's greed. And I don't believe that, and I never will believe that. Everybody wants to further themselves. They want the best for their children, the best for their families. And these con artists who are confident and convincing smell them out – And tell them what they want to hear And thank you so much Jackie for saying that People must not blame themselves They mustn't re-victimize themselves We've seen people commit suicide in the ShareMax debacle, we've seen people commit Suicide in the Aurora debacle We saw how Fidentia, J. Arthur Brown took money from Widows and orphans That is despicable And people must remember that Fraudsters are sociopaths They will part you and your money Because that's their mission in life the best advice, Jackie, that you could possibly give to somebody who wants to invest today?
1: Do your homework and decide whether you actually knowing what you're committing yourself to. And don't listen to people that throw a lot of very complicated terms. Go and, in, well, independently verify. The fact that you independently go and verify the advice that somebody gives you A lot of fraudsters will go and say, oh, don't you trust me? Uh, Don't you trust my credentials? Don't you trust my advice? It's not you not believing them. It's just good business practice. It just makes sense to have that second opinion.
0: Jackie, as somebody having the experience of working for the NPA and then working in the cyber environment and now working in the private sector, how do people get in touch with you if they need advice going forward um, should they have fallen victim to a complex case and they want to go the legal route?
1: Firstly, my company, Vistrat Solutions, we do have a page on LinkedIn. They can also contact me on my email, Jackie at VistratSolutions.com.
0: And what kind, of, what kind of advice would you be giving them if they're approaching you? And what would they need to be able to engage with you?
1: The need to ask a question. I think to do your homework beforehand, if something makes you feel uncomfortable, ask the question. There's only one stupid question. It's the one you never asked. It's better to make sure beforehand, even if it's just soundboarding with somebody, than to get involved in something that's going to cost you money afterwards.
0: Advocate Jackie Fick is a member of the National Forum of Advocates. She is a specialist in cybercrime. She is an ex-deputy director of the National Prosecuting Authority, seconded to the Scorpions, and she is a friend of our show. Thank you so much for giving us your insight today. We look forward to having you back on the show in a couple of months. And my last question to you is, do you foresee uh, prosecutions this year in respect of these different schemes that have been operating?
1: That would be difficult to comment on. It's, these are complex investigations and um, take your time, well, a reasonable time to do it and do it properly because your chain of evidence still remains extremely important.
0: I hate to say this and I promised never to use this adage But I think the time is right. If it's too good to be true, it's too good to be true. Do your homework and remember you are not a victim. These guys set out and targeted you. And if you believe that there is a case to be investigated, make sure it's investigated by the correct investigators. Make sure that you fight that case tooth and nail because there are ways and means in this country um, in terms of our law, in terms of financial restitution, in terms of restorative justice, for you to be able to see justice. Jackie, what's 2020 got in line, in line for you?
1: Hopefully a lot of fraud preventative work because um, there's one motto that I live with, uh, live by, live with, and that is that prevention is better than prosecution. So if we can work smart and we can put our right controls in place, I do think that we can go a long way of curbing crime, especially financial crime and cybercrime in this country, and to give advice.
0: Jackie Fick, thank you so much for your time. On an unrelated issue, this has nothing to do if you're a victim of a crime. This has to do with if you are going through a bad phase in your life, perhaps somebody's passed away, and perhaps financially Um, You're overwhelmed, perhaps you have problems with your children, perhaps somebody in your circle has a substance abuse problem. If you need to talk, if you are stressed, overwhelmed, or desperate, Chai FM has introduced a 24-hour helpline. It's toll-free, which means you pay absolutely nothing for it. Somebody will answer that phone immediately, and they will give you advice. That number is 800 24-24-36. Twenty four, twenty four, thirty six. That number again is oh eight hundred, twenty four, twenty four, thirty six. We've just come out of the festive season. It's not the greatest season for a lot of people, but there are people out there that are willing to listen. You can also find the helpline on Facebook. It's Chai FM Helpline, and you can also find it on Twitter, Chai FM Helpline. Remember that toll free number is oh eight hundred, twenty four, twenty four, thirty six, and it's manned twenty four hours a day. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back next week, and I'll be uploading all the details of my guest, advocate Jackie Fick, if you'd like to get hold of her.